Turn the lights on so I can see some faces this morning. I want to see the white of the people's eyes. Have you had a good week? You must not have had a great week. That's all I can say. Listen, uh, last week we were in the, uh, we talked about the character of, 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 do you remember? Who did we talk about? David? We're going to be looking at the character of Jonah today. And so to find the book of Jonah, you can go to one of the biggest books in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, move back to the right about eight or nine books, and you can find the book of Jonah. Go to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and go back seven or eight books and find Jonah. Or you can just, you can just be really spiritual and go to the table of contents and look it up and find it that way because that's probably one of the easiest ways to find the book of Jonah. Listen, we're glad that you are here today, and I pray that you are glad that you are here today to be part of what God is doing. We make no apologies that we love families. Amen? We love people. Uh, people matter at Heritage, and that's very important. It's one of our core values, has been from the beginning, will always be, and we're very thankful. Um, while you're returning to the book of Jonah, while you're finding those passages, because we're going to be there today, let me sort of tell you a little bit of a story. The story was about a man who was a farmer. He worked in the timber industry. He and his family, they were well respected within the community. They were hard workers, had three boys, great kids, loved their mom and dad, but there was one problem. The family never, never seemed to allow God to be the center of their home. They believed in God, um, and if you were to ask them about their belief, they would say that they were believers and followers of Christ, and yet they never darkened the door of the church until that one day when one of the children, one of the boys, was bitten by a poisonous snake. They took the young boy to the hospital. It was there that the doctor said, I want you to know your son's in pretty bad condition, and only by a miracle will he survive. If you have a pastor, you might want to call him. You might want to notify him. He probably needs to come as quickly as possible. They knew a pastor. There was one that lived there within the community that that was a pastor there within a church. They knew him. They knew of him. They called. The pastor came. Um, they sat down with the family. The doctors explained exactly what was going on in the dire condition of the son and the fact that that only by a miracle would this young man survive. Um, the father asked the pastor if he would pray, and he said, absolutely, I'll pray. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know this. He said, when we get out of here and my son gets better, I want you to know that my family and I, we're going to show up in church. We're going to be there. The pastor began to pray, and this is what he prayed. Father, thank you for your power and your sovereignty. We recognize today that you're at work in all things. And today I want to thank you for sending a snake. Because of that encounter with that snake, it's gotten the attention of this family, and they're thinking about you as well as the brevity of life. God, if it's your will, would you heal this young man's body right now? Would you use this experience to not only lead young Kevin to repentance and to seek after you, but also his entire family? And if need be, Father, would you even send another snake? Why are some of you like going, ooh? <laughs> Listen, we're not going to be talking about snakes today. We're going to be talking about fish, and we're not going to spend all of our time trying to figure out what kind of fish it was. But this is what we do know, that uh, it would be easy to get distracted in all the little side conversations about the book of Jonah, but I don't want to do that today. There's a few things that specifically we want to talk about in our series, But God, 
If you go through the scriptures, there is a phrase, the phrase, but God or but the Lord is mentioned multiple times, probably more than a hundred times it's mentioned. And every one of those times that it's mentioned, it reminds us of the power and the authority of God and the assurance that God is at work in all types of situations. Amen? Amen. Very much so. And it's no different that regardless of the circumstances that we might face and as, as dim as the, as the future might be, one thing that can be assured that we can live with anticipation and the expectation of those but God moments. Amen? It's an amen. That regardless of what we might think or what we might feel or the emotions of the moment, the Bible teaches us that God is at work. Even in those moments and times that we don't perceive it or we can't see it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to see in the book of Jonah not only a man who ran from God, but we're going to see, we're going to see um, uh, our heavenly father who ran after that man who was running from him, a man who was running from his responsibilities, a man who was running from his call, who was running from God's will, and yet in spite of all that running, but God. I... Uh, before you get down and you start wanting to pick on Jonah and make fun of Jonah because Jonah's running from God, I think it's important that all of us realize that all of us are runners to some extent, right? The Bible says that all of us are like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us, there are no exemptions in this, that, that we leave God's path to, to follow our own path. And then because of that sin, we're separated from a holy God that loves us. And even though Jonah was a runner today, what we're going to see is that God patiently pursues not only Jonah, but God pursues us. We could really summarize the story in three different thoughts. Number one, Jonah ran. Number two, Jonah ran from God. Number, uh, Jonah ran to God. And number three, Jonah ran with God. But like Jonah, just like Jonah, prayerfully, those of us that may find ourselves today with the running shoes on that are running from God, Prayerfully, I, I pray today that even though you may be running from God, you will come to understand that God, God is always, he's always pursuing us. And then in those moments and times when we're running from God, it's important for us to understand that God, God always has our best interests in mind. But in those times that we're running, not only are we running and hurting ourselves, but we're also hurting those that are closest to us. But we can repent. We can turn. And in that, experience new life and meaning and purpose. Jonah chapter 1. Let's do a lot of reading this morning. Jonah chapter 1 and following. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish and he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. 
And the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work and what country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God, the God of heavens who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that they were running away from the Lord. What would you do? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, what shall we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again, and I know that this terrible storm is all of my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O oh God, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death, O oh Lord, for you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And the sailors picked him up, and they threw him into the sea. The storm stopped at once. The sailors were all struck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed. He prayed to the Lord his God from inside of the fish. And up until this point in the story, we could call Jonah the prayerless prophet, right? Until now. It's amazing how the circumstances of life have a way of ramping up the importance of our prayer life. From here inside the belly of the fish, listen to what Jonah prayed. He said, I cried out to the Lord. It was in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, Lord, and you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head, and I sank down into the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord, O oh my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with my songs of praise, and I will fulfill all of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach, and then in chapter 1, 3, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. This is the second time, okay? Second time, not first time, second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, deliver the message I've given you. This time, <laughs> this time, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Without reading the remaining verses, which we could, I want us to look at three life lessons today that I think are important that um, from this story that we can learn from Jonah, the prodigal prophet. Um, you should have them in your notes today and follow along. But the first being God's call doesn't guarantee our success. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, he said the Lord gave this message. So what does that mean? It means that God called Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He spoke to the people on behalf of God. And so we have God calling 
to Jonah and saying, look, Jonah, I've got a mission for you. I've got a message. I've got something I want you to do. But Jonah didn't want to hear what God had to say. It was pretty clear that Jonah wasn't receptive to the message that God had given him. Have you ever been at that place in your life? I don't want to hear God. I've got my own idea of what I want to do. It goes on to say in verse 3, but Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, and he went down to the port of Joppa, Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. So let me give you just a little bit of a background on this. So, so Nineveh was a capital city. It was a, a capital of the, of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were enemies of not only the Jews, but many different nations. The Assyrians were a group that would eventually take the um, the northern tribes of Israel captive in 722. Nineveh was 550 miles east-northeast of where Jonah was located. Tarshish on the other side was on the other side was 2,500 miles the opposite direction, literally the opposite direction, which would have been just about as far as you could get from Nineveh. All in an attempt to avoid in what God wanted him to do. And before you say, I, I, can't believe, um, I can't believe that Jonah would act that way, how many of us have done the exact same thing? I mean, maybe as a teenager, you, your parents have, have, have asked you to do something, yet instead of obeying your parents, you've done totally the opposite. And as a result of that, you experience pain and suffering. But not only you experience pain and suffering and difficulties, but also your parents as well. I uh, had a friend he had this dog. Bill, you like dogs. You know, you and Susan like dogs. You got dogs. So this is with Jack Russell. That's one of the craziest dogs of all time, I think. So this guy had this Jack Russell. I'm, I remember being at his house. It's been years ago. And he opened the door. Man, that joker shot out the door. And he just ran. He ran off about 25 yards. And he's standing there. And he was, he's, come, come on back, come on back. The dog's just like looking at him like, are you kidding me? I don't think so. And so he took, he took, took a few steps to sort of go towards the dog. The dog shot off again, went about another 25 yards and turned around and stopped and was looking, you know, and he's like going, that crazy dog. And he's like, come here, come here, buddy. Hey, little puppy, come on, you know. And, and so he takes a few more steps. The dog shot off again, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I think I got something that would help that dog out, you know. And so uh, I don't remember what the dog's name, but they could have called him Jonah. I mean, they really literally could have called because he was running away from his master, and yet how many of us are running away from our master, not wanting to do what our master is asking of us? See, I know what that's like because I've been at that place where I knew what God wanted me to do, but I didn't necessarily want to do it. I didn't end up in the belly of the fish, but I can share some stories of pain and suffering. Can you? Yeah. Paul, in writing his first letter to the believers at Corinth, would say this. He said, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth for to you who have been called. And we see the same language when Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4 when he says to live a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. And if you know the story, you know that Jonah would eventually obey and he would eventually go to Nineveh and preach the message of repentance and salvation. Jonah chapter 3, the people of Nineveh believed God's message after he preached it. And from the greatest to the least, they declared and they fasted and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. So Jonah eventually would make his way to Nineveh and do what God called him to do, but only after great pain and suffering. When we go back and we take a, a closer look, Jonah knew exactly what God was asking. 
but he ran the opposite direction to get on a boat, to pay for a ticket, to get on a boat, to find himself in the middle of a storm, all then to be thrown overboard to find himself in the belly of a big fish. And we could say that that first decision to disobey God, to run from God, led to a downward spiral. Can you see that? Spiral down. Which nothing can be, can be really a metaphor or figure of speech for the rebellious nature of Jonah's heart. And even though Jonah had paid for a ticket, he would never make it to Tarshish. See, there's always a price to be paid for sin. I've heard it said over the years, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will, it will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. But I think one of the pressing questions was, why did Jonah run? What, why, why would he even consider running? What was he thinking? What was going on in his mind? Well, there's a couple of really logical possibilities. Number one, Jonah thought it was too difficult. Maybe Jonah thought that God was asking what he was asking was too much. I don't know about you, but 550 miles sounds a whole lot better by land than going to 2,500 miles by sea. Maybe Jonah was a people pleaser and he didn't like the message, turn or burn, that God had given him to take to the Ninevites. By the way, the city of Nineveh was founded by a man by the name of Nimrod, who happened to be the great-grandson of a man by the name of Jonah, or uh, by, of Noah, if you remember the story. He, he was not only a great hunter, but he was also a man who was responsible for building the Tower of Babel. He had a rebellious heart. If you remember why they built the Tower of Babel, they were trying to make their way to the heavens. They wanted to be like God. There are those that say that the reason that the Tower of Babel was built was so that if God ever sent a flood again, that they would be able to protect themselves. Nineveh was a place of fish. They worshipped a fish god. And so, maybe it was too difficult. So Jonah said, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe it was too dangerous. History tells us some stories about the Ninevites. If you know anything about it, they were wicked. They were, they were brutal people. The Lord said in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked the people are. There was another prophet by the name of, uh, whose name was Nahum who was also sent to the, to the Ninevites to declare God's judgment against them. The Lord said the city was a bloody city. It was full of murder and lies. The streets were filled with body and with corpses. The Assyrians were noted for, for uh, amputating body parts, arms and legs and feet and toes and other things for gouging out the eyes of their enemies and for impaling their bodies on stakes while they were still alive. And so when Jonah gets word from the Lord to go to Nineveh, it helps us better understand maybe what's going on in his mind, but as logical as it would seem why he would not want to go to Nineveh because it was not only too difficult and too dangerous, neither one of those are really the reason that Jonah didn't want to go. But it was really because it was too disdainful. See, the truth that, of why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh um, was all because he knew. He knew that they would repent, and he knew that God would forgive. This is what it says in Jonah 3. When God saw what they had done, and now had, they had put a stop to their evil ways, they had repented to the message that Jonah had brought to them. It said he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. 
in light of the repentance, in light of them turning to God, you would think Jonah, the prophet who had brought the message to them that brought him to, to the place of repenting and crying out to God, you would think that he would be really excited about this turn, turn of events, but he wasn't. But it wasn't the heart of Jonah. As a matter of fact, look at what it says in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, slow to angry, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You were eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. <laughs> Just kill me now. Jonah said, I knew it. See, I know you and I know your heart. And I know your heart for people and I knew that you would forgive the Ninevites, when they repented, despite, of, despite their wickedness, despite all the things that they had done, the, 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 uh, the wrong that they had inflicted on the Israelites and as well as others. Jonah said, God, I knew, I knew that you would forgive the people of Nineveh, the ones that I hate and disdain so much. Jonah was a mess. It's a bad place to be. It's a really, really bad place to be when you don't want sinful people that are far away from God to repent and to turn and to find hope. Amen? And so Jonah ran. Jonah ran because he hated, he hated the very people that God loved. See, love and forgiveness wasn't on Jonah's mind instead of, instead it was bitterness and Hatred and vengeance, which all blinds us from the truth. Maybe there are some of you today that are experiencing that blindness. You would think that as a prophet, John would have known better, but he didn't. But instead of listening to God, he chose to run. By the time this story shows up and Jonah shows up in the scriptures, David, the guy that we talked about last week, um, there was already some things that David had written down, like in Psalms chapter 139, which he says, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the Father's devotions, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Jonah should have known. He should have known. But he was blinded by the bitterness of his heart by his hatred. So God's call doesn't guarantee success. But what about this life lesson, the second one? Just because we know the truth doesn't mean that we will apply it. In chapter 2, we see Jonah praying. He's praying from inside this, the belly of this fish. And I'm not going to read the prayer again. But when you read that prayer, it's pretty evident that Jonah knew exactly to whom he was praying as well as knowing the Scriptures. That's because inside of the prayer, we see multiple mentions of Old Testament scriptures inside of his prayer. Uh, in, there's at least 10, and many of them being from the book of Psalms. But it was hidden in his heart. See, when he, would, he began to pray, what came out of his mouth was what was in his heart, what had been hidden in his heart. And here's the point, just because we've been exposed to God's word, just because we know God's word, just because we know the one for whom it was written, 
doesn't necessarily mean that we will apply it. You with me? See, just because you go to church every Sunday and you hear, just because you read the Bible, doesn't necessarily mean that you will apply what you've learned. A person once said this, to know the words of the Bible and not to apply them to our lives is nothing more than practical atheism. After the Passover celebration, before Jesus would be arrested, he took out a towel and a basin, and there that night he would wash the disciples' feet as, a, as an example of what they could do, of how they should live. And then Jesus went on to say this, now that you know these things, God will bless you for thinking about them, for considering them, no, for doing them. He didn't say they would be blessed because of what they knew or they would be blessed for playing attention or memorizing what had taken place but he said you'll be blessed for what you do the blessings are in the doing it was Jesus himself who said why do you call me Lord Lord and continue to do things the way you want to do them I have a tendency of using MapQuest or Google Maps or something, you know, I've sort of gotten into that habit. You know, you type in something, it gives you directions. But just because I get directions, see, that map may give me directions, but that map will not transport me to where I'm headed. I have to follow it. And it's possible for some of us to call ourselves believers and not yet live as a believer should live. It's easy for us to say we believe one thing and yet there be a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we choose to live. I was in a conversation the other day with somebody who's in this audience this morning. They came to me and said, Sid, you ain't going to believe what just happened to me this past week. He said, I'm so embarrassed of what took place. He said, but man, I almost got into a knockdown drag out with a guy in a fast food, fast food um, drive through he said, this joker tried to cut me off, tried to break in line, gave me the bird and some other different things. I thought to myself, well, who in the world do you think you are? I'll whip you right now. They got in this argument. And he said, man, there was something that just came over me, and I was in front of him, and he said, I went through, and when I went through, he said, man, the Holy Spirit just, just got a hold of me and said, man, that's not who you are. You're different. You're different. He said, I told a girl at the drive-thru, he said, listen, ma'am, I want to pay for the guy behind me paid for his meal. He said, I got so convicted over the way that I was acting. And yet, how many times, instead of us being convicted and responding to the Spirit, we make an excuse for our action instead of remembering who, that Jesus is Lord. I hear a lot of, hmm, hmm. Think back to your interactions this week. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with employees, employers, or whoever else. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor. How have you done? How many of us say Jesus is Lord? Jesus, you're Lord as long as it didn't conflict what I want or my agenda or my desires. See, if Jesus is Lord on Sunday but not the rest of the week, Jesus isn't Lord of all. Amen? That should be a loud amen. I know that's sort of intimidating, but that really should be a loud amen. If Jesus isn't Lord, if Jesus is Lord on Sunday but not the rest of the week, Jesus really isn't Lord at all. Amen? That's right. I mean, we should act no differently 24-7. It should be who we are. We shouldn't be here on Sunday morning trying to put on the, put on the dog. I mean, I want everybody to see how good of a believer I am. I'm, I'm going to dress a certain way, act a certain way. I'm going to carry my Bible a certain way. I'm going to know where the book of Jonah is in the Old Testament. Man, it should be 24-7 wherever we go. 
Because Jesus is Lord. Write down the third thing. Our stubbornness or disobedience doesn't stop God's call or stop God's will. So God calls Jonah, gives him directions of what to do. But in verse 3 it says, But Jonah got up and he went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. To which we think, well, it doesn't look like Jonah's going to make it to Nineveh. (laughs) Until you read verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that had threatened to break the ship apart. And then in verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. And then you read in verse 3, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. And here's the point. If God wants Nineveh to be reached, it's going to be reached. It's the realization that Job came to near the end of his life when he said in in Job 42.2, he said, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. In the book of Esther, we see where Esther becomes king. She comes um, in contact with a man by the name of Haman who was second in charge, who wanted to get rid of all the Jews in Persia. But it was Esther's um, uncle Mordecai who who, um, learned about what Haman's plan was to get rid of the Jews. And he went to Esther and he said, look, you need to go to the king and tell the king what's going on so he can put a stop to this. And Esther said, I can't go. I mean, if I go, he might put me to death. You don't you know, I can't approach him like that. And Mordecai said in Esther chapter 4, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, what God wants is going to take place. It's going to happen. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And what we see in this story, the story of Jonah, is a case of severe mercy. Not only God's mercy to the Ninevites, who he could have destroyed at any point in time, but also God's mercy for Jonah as well. See, if Jonah was on our team, how many of us would have set him on the bench or gotten rid of him? We'd pick somebody else. But see, God picked Jonah for a specific reason. God has a habit of choosing unlikely people to accomplish and to carry out his plans. Amen? But in the meantime, also being very, very patient when we aren't that patient and hanging on to us when everybody else says, I'm done with you. I wonder how many people have been hurt in churches because they weren't good enough. Because they didn't do what everybody else thought they should do or act like everybody else thought they should act. And they said, get away. It was under God's direction that Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let the people go. And Pharaoh refused. But after some encounters with some flies and gnats and all these other different uh, plagues, Pharaoh said, listen, man, take them people and get out of here. I don't have anything to do with it. Maybe we can say it this way. If God's still small voice isn't enough, you might want to get some flood insurance, people. But I'd rather, a whole lot rather be a guy like Samuel. Samuel that said, speak, Lord, 
Your servant's listening. Your servant's listening. See, in Proverbs 15, 10, it says, whoever, whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined, and whoever hates correction will die. In other words, if you want to disobey the Lord, man, that's a choice that you've got to do. I mean, if that's what you want to do, go for it. But I just want you to know, with that disobedience and with that rebellion, there's always a price to be paid. Can I, can I be personal with you for a second? Can I do that? So when I was 14 years old, I, I've got my own little Jonah experience. When I was 14 years old, um, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was at work in my life. I, I knew that God was at work calling me to, to be involved in full-time ministry service, but I was so conflicted. And it wasn't, I wasn't conflicted because I didn't love the Lord. I was conflicted because I think it had a lot to do with the what-ifs and all the unknowns as well as the fact that it didn't sort of fit into my plans. It didn't sort of fit into what I wanted to do, into my agenda. And to be honest, I think I was just scared, but God, but God. Fast forward three years later, I was getting ready to graduate and I, was, I had a job in an area that I thought that God would be leading me into, taking me into, and I, hadn't, I still had never forgotten what God was doing back when I was 14. But this sort of seemed to fit into my future plans. And I didn't, I didn't have a fish experience, but I got fired. I got let go from a job that I was doing my job, but I got let go. And man, embarrassing to say the least. And looking back though, I can see what God was doing. God was gently rearranging my life, moving me around because within six weeks time, I was off to college. I was off to college and, and uh, I started attending a, a church. And within a couple of weeks at 17 years old, I'm 17 now, at 17 years old, they came to me because the minister of music and youth had resigned and they came as a 17-year-old. They came to me and said, Sid, would you even, even begin to consider taking this position that we have available? People, I'm 17. I'm 17. But God, but God. I was running at one time, but God knew exactly what he was doing. And he put me in a place where I had a pastor and I had a church that surrounded me. And they loved on me and they gave me an opportunity to, to exercise what I felt like God was doing and to, and to participate and use my gifts and, and talents. And so you want to know one of the reasons why we're so passionate about children and teenagers and, and allowing them the opportunity to, to experience and, and, and see maybe what God is doing is because if it wouldn't have been for that pastor in that church, I wouldn't be here today. And I wonder how many adults in this room, there's something that you feel like God's placed on your heart, but you're fearful and you've never been given an opportunity to exercise those gifts or that talent or whatever it may be. And for all these years, you've been living behind, but you know, and you know, there's teenagers in here that I know that there are some of you that God has called and you're wrestling with that. And, 
And uh, I, I want to make sure that you have an environment that you can exercise those gifts. And that gift, what you sense God is doing in you, that, that fire can be fanned. I mean, it can be fanned. And you have the opportunity to exercise and to see what God is doing. And, and so this morning, I just I wonder how many of us have been running from God when all the time God is at work for your good and for his glory. And so we're going to sing a song today. Brian and, and Bruce are going to, they're going to sing a song, a closing song. And this is a sort of a song of invitation for us. And today, if, if you're here and there's something maybe you're wrestling with or running, maybe you're running from the Lord. Maybe you're running from a calling. Maybe you sense God calling you. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe it's somebody within your family. Maybe it's a friend. And today you want to come. We're going to have some staff that are standing up here that are going to stand and, and some overseers. If, we, if there are overseers that are here today, I want you to come. I want you to stand along the front of these, this, this, this auditorium. And this morning, as they sing and as they talk about faith and keeping our eyes on Jesus, man, if you sense this morning there's a reason that you need to come to pray, we want to give you this opportunity. If you sense God's calling you into ministry or there's something that's going on, we want you to come. Or maybe you're here today and you've never made the most important decision of all, and that's to trust Jesus. We want you to come. Father, as we prepare ourselves while people are still praying and, and responding today, Lord, would you remind us as we walk out these doors that if Jesus is Lord on Sunday and he's not Lord the rest of the week, he's not Lord of all, remind us of that. Jesus, help us to be your ambassadors, your hands and feet. Help us to bring light and life to this world, not just by our goodness, but, Father, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remind us every day of the opportunities we have that surround us, Lord, to share your love, to extend your love to a broken world that is seeking and searching and looking. Thank you for the blessings of this morning. I pray, Lord, as we, as we read the scriptures, that they themselves would teach us into the depths of our hearts. Bless us now as we go in Jesus' name.